This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved. Yet you give to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be. sing pretty good, can't they? Awesome, thank you. He has done amazing things. Just a note for the uh, for the service this evening. Um, 
tonight we're going to have the opportunity for you to be anointed. Uh, we do this from time to time. Uh, for those of you that are new, it's nothing weird, um, but just very biblical. If, if there are those that would like to be anointed for a particular situation, uh, we will give you opportunity. Or if you want to represent someone else that's, <clears throat> that's ill or a, another situation, we will be doing that in the evening service. And so uh, just come with your needs this evening and, and let's be prayerful um, about that. Um, Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 18, and, and I know your bulletin says Matthew 28, my mistake there, but it's actually Matthew chapter 18, and uh, we'll be reading <clears throat> several verses there, so just keep your, uh, keep your Bibles open to that uh, throughout the course of our study. When you walk through the doors this morning, you should have received a rock, and uh, and by the way, it's amazing how many of you think you are comedians. Um, you, you, you really think you're a prime-time comedian, don't you? <clears throat> you do. Uh, I, I can't believe how many of you think alike. You're in the same rut. Uh, you, you thought that The Rock was to throw at me and uh, all of that. And, uh, you know, in, in so many ways we are alike, we're predictable, you thought you were, you were the only one that thought of that, but just to let you know, everybody else did too, okay? So anyway, that, that's, uh, uh, that goes without saying. Um, but the rock that you received this morning symbolizes unforgiveness, hurt, abuse, disappointment, or even resentment that some of us may be carrying around. Now, over the years, I've discovered that this topic is probably one of the most painful of all topics, and it evokes some very deep emotions. The truth is that many people, including good and godly, church-going people, have wounds that are still open and raw. One thing that amazes me is, is how life's greatest joys, as well as life's most agonizing wounds, wounds both come from the same place. God has wired us so that relationships with a husband or wife or child or friend can produce incredible joy. Amen? You found that? But by the same token, at times, our greatest hurts are also produced, produced through those same relationships. And let me say at the very beginning, if, if you are one that's carrying around a hurt or a resentment or unforgiveness, I want you to know I'm not here to condemn you. This... This is not a shame on you sermon. Because really when we take a snapshot of ourselves, the truth is that in different ways we're all pretty much messed up. Not every one of us will necessarily struggle with unforgiveness, but, but all of us in this church, and I alluded to this earlier, but, but we're just a collection of broken and hurting and messed up people who have been redeemed and we're being restored by God's grace. And for some of us, that healing takes more time than it does for others. And uh, one thing I would ask of you today is if you're carrying around a rock of unforgiveness, um, just quit pretending that it's not there. God can see right through your facade, and, and, and most of us can as well. 
I found that on the matter of unforgiveness that, that we can sometimes fool ourselves. But rarely do we fool others. Unforgiveness or resentment generally makes its way to the surface and it becomes evident to those around us. You know, it's kind of like going through security at the airport. You check in at the counter, you get your boarding pass, then you've got to head off to the security line, and I've come to detest international travel or even national travel here just because of security, having to go through security. And, and uh, you know, this is kind of off the point, but I, I really think one of the qualifications for being a TSA agent is that you have to be grouchy. <laughs> I'm serious. On the application, probably they ask the question, are you super grouchy? And if they say no, well, they're not a candidate to be TSA. Um, uh, but, but anyway, they, they're not allowed to have any personality. Um, th- those security agents, sometimes they look like they've been baptized in, in pickle juice or something like that. But, but anyway, their security, you show your boarding pass, and then you show your ID, and you pull out your laptop and, and take the change out of your pocket, and then you show your boarding pass again. And then you pull your shoes off and take off your belt and then show your boarding pass. Take off your watch and show your boarding pass. Then finally, you put your carry-on through the security machine. And, and during this time, there's a TSA agent sitting there in front of that monitor. He's got a scowl on his face or on her face. And they are making sure that there's nothing dangerous in your, in your carry-on. Now, in the same manner, the Lord looks, in, looks into our heart and... and uh, Sometimes he, he says, hey, hey, there's something dangerous in there. It's a rock. It's a rock of unforgiveness, and, and that will hurt you. But unlike the security agent, the Lord is a friend to us. <laughs> he loves us, and he wants only what's best for us. And, and, and so he says, son, daughter, you need to let it go. But, but anyway, could, could we just this morning really be honest with ourselves and with God and, and let's, try, let's quit trying to camouflage our unforgiveness and let's quit saying, well, you know, I forgave them a long time ago when, when everybody else knows you haven't or we haven't. And, 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 you know, I pray that God would help me not to say anything I shouldn't say this morning, but... You know, if we cannot be in the same room with someone else and if we can't at least carry on a surface conversation with someone that hurt us and and i'm not talking about hanging out with them or being best buds but i'm talking about just surface casual encounters if we can't do that then there's probably the likelihood that we're carrying around some unforgiveness because true forgiveness enables us to release the bitterness and will enable us to at least casually speak with that person without emotions raw emotions of anger surfacing And I pray that our time together will be a defining moment and that we can let go of the burden of unforgiveness and resentment and experience true freedom. Can we just pray one more time? Father, I need your help. And I know some people are already nervous because they're afraid that I'm just going to come down and make them feel about an inch tall and God I don't want to do that Lord if there needs to be any convicting I want your Holy Spirit to do it I I want to just preach your word Lord let me do so with with compassion with sensitivity with tenderness 
But Lord, give me a boldness that the Apostle Paul also had. And I just pray for your spirit to do a work today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we dig into this issue today, let's establish the baseline of God's expectation. You know, as Christ's followers, we're given a high standard when it comes to relationships. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, reveals that baseline or that standard. And, and here's what it says. You'll recognize the verse. It says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, by the wording of that verse, it appears that there may be some circumstances in which peace may not be possible. You know, especially if you're dealing with a non-Christian, you may not be able to patch up things. However, for Christians, and I, I don't believe there should be an exception clause, that there should be no loophole and no escape hatch. God's children, who have been forgiven by God, should forgive each other and should live at peace with one another. Now, the setting for our scripture is this. One day, Peter engages Jesus in a conversation on the topic of forgiveness. And, and he wanted to know where the limits or the far boundaries, the outer boundaries of forgiveness was. And, and so he just, kind of like Pete was, he's just point blank. And, and he says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? And, and he, he says, maybe up to seven times. Now, now, when Peter says up to seven times, he thinks he's being super spiritual. I mean, in his mind, he's going way beyond the call of duty to, to suggest that we might go so far as to forgive somebody seven times. But Jesus comes right back at him with a shocking response. Jesus said, no, Pete, you're not getting it. He blows him away. And he says, not seven times but 70 times 7. And then Jesus launches into this story about forgiveness that will anchor our lesson today. Now, instead of reading our lesson directly from Scripture, as, as we normally do, I, I don't think it will violate the intent of the Scripture, but I would like to retell the story in our Scripture in, in a form that might take place today in this century. And of course, again, you can read the original story later on in Matthew chapter 18, uh, starting with verse 23. But, but here's a modern-day parallel version of the story. And we'll just say that it involves a large, multi-billion-dollar corporation. And, and one day, the CEO, who is a very powerful and shrewd businessman, gets a memo from the accounting department, and one of their vendors has run up an enormous debt. Well, being a no-nonsense businessman, he wants a meeting with his vendor immediately. When the vendor gets word that the CEO has demanded a meeting, his heart sinks. He, he has this, this gut feeling that it's about the debt he has accumulated towards his company. He owes northward, we'll just say, of, of $10 million. An incredible debt. So he goes to the big corporate offices where he's ushered into the CEO's office. And, and he, he immediately is handed a folder detailing the run-up of his debt. And the CEO lets him know that the note is now due in full. Today, immediately, now, without delay. The CEO also lets him know that if he doesn't pay, they will come after him with the full force of the law, prosecute him to the full extent. They will seize all of his assets, liquidate his property, possessions. They will take him to the cleaners and throw him in jail. Well, in a moment of desperation, this man falls on his knees 
before this powerful corporate CEO. And he begins to beg for mercy. He begs for more time. He begs on behalf of his family. And he promises somehow to pay back every dime. Well then, the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the unbelievable happens. The CEO is moved with compassion. And in a moment of amazing and shocking generosity, he grabs that file that details the debt and he sticks it in the shredder and shreds it to pieces. He doesn't grant him more time. Rather, he grants him a complete pardon. Well, this man is blown away by his compassion. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. He's, a, he's kind of in a daze as he walks out of the CEO's office. Tears are streaming down his face and, and he grabs his cell phone and he says, Honey, you can't believe what just happened. And everyone lives happily ever after. Right? Wrong. The story's not over yet. As this man, still incredulous over the CEO's act of mercy and grace, he, he stops to get gas on the way home. And, and remember, this is just a retelling of the story. You can read the original story in Matthew chapter 18. But he bumps into a client who has been avoiding him because he had also accumulated a debt, this one towards him. Not a big debt, but we'll just say maybe a couple hundred dollars. He's been trying to collect that debt from him for several months, but he won't return his phone calls. But there they are at the gas station, face to face. His pulse quickens as he sees this man that owes him money. And his blood pressure is rising. And without even thinking, he quickly stalks up to him and, and with indignation demands immediate payment of the couple of hundred dollars that he owes him. And the client is caught off guard. And there in the gas station, he begins to beg for more time and promises that he will pay back every dime. Sound familiar? But this guy will hear none of it. He says, I've given you enough time. Pay up now or you've had it. And Well, the man didn't have a couple hundred dollars to pay up. And so the sheriff is called. Charges are pressed. The man is thrown in jail. Now, I think that story probably sparks an outrage in most of us. How could a man who had been forgiven so much not forgive someone who owed him so little? So today, from this very powerful story, I want to give you three things. Here's my outline. I want to give you a reminder. I want to give you a challenge, and then I want to issue a caution to you. First of all, the reminder. And in a nutshell, the reminder is that you are that person. I'm that person that has been forgiven the huge debt. Don't ever forget that. That's the reminder. One of my fears is that after we've been serving Christ for a while is that we tend to forget how messed up we were. 
You know, we, we tend to forget that we were all born with, with an ugliness and darkness that the Bible calls sin. You know, there was a book written in 1969. Some of you have heard of it, but it was titled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Anybody ever remember that book? Well, probably a more accurate description of our lives would be, I'm not okay. And frankly, you're really messed up. <laughs> you know, the Bible doesn't pull any punches when, when it discusses the nature of man. In the Old Testament, we read that the heart of man is desperately wicked. And then in the New Testament, in Romans 3.10, it says, No one is good, not even one. You know, you arrived, I arrived in this world with a heart that was tainted and poisoned by sin. You were a son or daughter of the devil. You know, some people believe once a son, always a son, and, and that's okay. But I'm glad that didn't hold true when I was a son of the devil. We were all no good, messed up sinners that had nothing good going for us. You know, the story is told of, of a group of five Buddhist priests from Japan who visited one of the larger evangelical churches in America. And at one point, one of the uh, Buddhist priests said, you know, the, the, the most difficult thing for me to accept about the Christian belief is, is the belief in a sin nature. He said, I just don't get it. Well, if you just look at a baby who doesn't get his way, he would get it. If he would just look at an adult that has been wronged and see how we turn into vengeful people, he would get it. We all come factory installed with a sin nature. No exceptions. But the good news is that when we had no hope of ever paying off our sin debt, praise God, the great CEO of the universe, God Almighty, He tore up our note of debt and tore up our note of badness and imputed a nature of goodness and the death of Jesus was God's declaration paid in full. And that's good news. And as a result of that, even though I deserve punishment, I got pardoned. Even though I deserved judgment, I got forgiven. Even though I deserved eternal condemnation, I got eternal salvation. I deserved hell, but hallelujah, I'm going to get heaven. And you know what? Maybe we ought to just put our hands together and celebrate the wonderful grace of Jesus that saved a sinner like me and you. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Now I'm saved. Praise God. And before we go any further, I want to make sure you know that you've been pardoned of your enormous debt of sin. Why is that so important? Well, where you spend eternity is at stake. Jesus has already paid the price and God offers salvation to you as a gift. And today you can cross the line and have your debt canceled and receive the wonderful gift of eternal life. And I don't know, you know... I would think in a crowd this size, maybe not everybody is there. But if you're not there, you can be there. You can cross that line. You can be forgiven today and know that you know that you know that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I pray before you leave these doors that you will know. You will know. Okay, so the reminder, we're the ones that have been forgiven the huge debt. Secondly, let me issue a challenge. And the challenge is to forgive others who have maybe accumulated a smaller debt or a wrong towards us. Now, the challenge is built on the foundation of our first point. There, there is a direct correlation between your being forgiven by God and your granting forgiveness to others. Listen carefully to these words from Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, 
just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So God's forgiveness to us is the basis of our forgiving one another. And the challenge is, is to somehow, some way, and it requires an act of God. We can't do this in the human flesh, but it's to release the judgment that I want and you want to inflict on someone else and be able to forgive them. Now, understand that forgiveness is in no way meant to minimize or excuse how someone might have hurt us. Nor does it mean that forgiving those who have wronged us is easy. Extending grace does not come naturally. We want people to get what they deserve. You know, Sir Walter Scott said that revenge is the sweetest morsel to the mouth that was ever cooked in hell. You know, there's something satisfying about paybacks. Doesn't it feel good? You know, the human in us likes to see our enemy suffer. We like to see them miserable. Isn't that right? You're acting so super spiritual, and I don't think some of you are there yet. <laughs> you know, I, I know you, and you know me. Human nature likes to see suffering in those people that have hurt us. But, but that's why we began with a reminder that, that we've been forgiven the huge debt. And when we come to understand that, then it makes it easier to forgive others who have wronged us on a much smaller level. Now, as we talk about forgiveness, keep in mind that forgiveness will require a choice to forgive. In fact, every time you are offended or hurt, you will be faced with a choice. You can choose to harbor resentment or bitterness, or you can choose to forgive. And unfortunately, too many times we keep holding on to that hurt. You know, as the saying goes, we nurse a grudge. And when you nurse something, what are you doing? Well, you're doing all you can to keep it alive. And so many times we nurse or we feed our grudges with angry thoughts and hostile feelings and bitter memories. It reminds me of the common story that we've heard a thousand times about the guy who was telling his friend about that he and his wife had a fight the night before. And he said, yeah, my wife was so upset she went historical. And, and his friend said, don't you mean hysterical? And, and he said, no, historical. She brought up everything I'd ever done wrong in the past. You know, we, we have an amazing ability in a ledger in our mind to record hurts and play them back over and over and over again. Now, what are some clues that you need to choose to forgive or that I need to choose to forgive? And this gets down to the nitty-gritty. The first clue that you need to choose to forgive is if someone's name has come to mind during this service. And maybe you're trying to justify yourself and you're saying, well, I forgave them, but <clears throat> deep inside of you, the resentment still boils. If that's what's going on, that may be a clue that you need to forgive someone. Another clue that you need to choose to forgive someone is when a certain person's name comes up, you're instantly critical of them. And someone's saying something good about them, and you want to interject and say, but... Let me tell you this side of them. Another clue is that you can't stop thinking about how someone hurt you and you keep pushing rewind and, and feeding on that time and time again. Can I give you a little bit of homework today? Everybody okay with that? 
because of the fact that we're good about lying to ourselves, especially trying to convince ourselves that we've forgiven someone when we haven't, here's what I'd like for you to do this week is go to your spouse, if you have one, or go to a good friend and ask them this question, who do I need to forgive? Or maybe this question, what hurt do I need to let go of? Because they will probably know better than you. And I'll admit, uh, you know, this morning, Faith uh, and I were in my office, and I was getting all taped up with my mic here, and uh, just kind of out of the clear blue, I said, Honey, you know, I want my heart to be clear as I get up and try to preach. I said, Is there someone you think of that I probably need to forgive? You know, someone that you've seen just an attitude towards them or just a hurt or whatever. I believe my wife was honest with me and I would encourage you to do that this week. Because again, our hearts are so deceitful. We can, we can fool ourselves. And of course, we can't fool God, but most of the time on this issue of unforgiveness, we can't even fool those closest to us because, again, it surfaces, it comes out. And we can see sometimes in others, in those closest to us, something we can't see in ourselves or they can't see in themselves. Now, what does it really mean to forgive? Does it mean to forget? You know, we say that to forget, or, or to, to forgive is to forget. That's not biblical. You, you can't just press a delete button and erase the hurt from your memory. God created us with a memory. And so when someone says, well, you know, if you're going to forgive, you've got to forget it. Sometimes we'll live under a cloud of guilt because God created us with a memory. And, and so that's a myth. And then we've all heard the old saying that, well, time heals all wounds. Another myth. You know, the passing of months and years may lessen the hurt, but it does not heal. Neither does forgiveness mean that we have to pretend the hurt didn't happen. That would be lying. You know, some would say, well, just deny it. No, 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 no. You know, we've all been hurt. And it's not more godly to pretend that it didn't happen. Here's true forgiveness. It's relinquishing my right to hurt you, even if I felt you hurt me. It's releasing you from my judgment and making the choice to let you off of the hook and not to charge the offense to your account. It's, it's letting go of my right to get even. That's forgiveness. And don't expect that letting go will come as a warm feeling. You, you probably won't ever have the warm feeling of wanting to let go of a hurt. Letting go takes an act of the will. And, and some people have said, well, I'll know when the time is right. You know, I'll have that feeling, but I just don't feel it right now. It'll happen. And let me just say, you may never feel it. The human nature doesn't normally create a warm feeling when the time is right to forgive. It comes as a choice. It's an act of the will. You have to force yourself to do it. 
it probably won't come naturally. Now, some of you are saying, well, Joe, you don't realize what they have done to me. No, I don't. I realize some of you have been hurt deeply. Maybe it's a boss who used you and then discarded you when they didn't need you anymore. Maybe it's a friend who verbally stabbed you in the back. Maybe it was a relative who physically abused you or sexually abused you. Maybe it was an ex-spouse who walked out on the marriage and, and, and everything in your spirit recoils at the thought of releasing them. I don't know what you're hanging on to today, but I say this kindly and firmly. You have a choice. You can carry this unforgiveness to your grave. You can nurse the grudge. Or you can let it go. But if you choose to hold on to it, which you can, God created us that way where we can make choices on our own. If you choose to hold on to it, it will poison your soul. Now, I know for some of you, if this feels like the hardest thing you've ever been asked to do. And it may be. But today, can I just go further on your blacklist? Get in deeper? Because I want to go one step further. I want to challenge you to not only forgive, but, but then I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, it says, But you who are willing to listen, I, I say, love your enemies. Now, if, it, if you were to stop there, I'd have felt pretty good because, you know, we can say all kinds of, or love them. But then he goes on and gets more specific. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Now, we can pray for them. Lord, cause something bad to happen to them this week. Then a little bit later in verse 35, he says it again. It's like, okay, I'm not sure you were listening. Listen up now. He says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them. And don't be concerned that they might not repay then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High for He is kind to the unthankful and to those who are wicked. So, I hope you're catching here. Jesus not only says forgive your enemies, that's hard enough, but then He says to do good to them, love them and bless them. And, and, and listen up here. You know, this, this is where the rubber meets the road. When He says to love and to bless your enemies, that doesn't sound like avoiding them, does it? This whole thing of, well, I've forgiven them, but I'm certainly not ever going to talk with them again. That, that doesn't come out of this verse. Or, or do good to those who hate you. That doesn't sound like turning your head as they walk by. Bless them who curse you. That doesn't sound like giving them a dirty look or an icy stare. You really can't do good. You can't bless them. You can't love them if you say, well, I've forgiven them. But it's best that we just never talk again. We just need to keep our distance. I don't think that's measuring up to the standard that God gives us in His Word. And I know it's super quiet in here, and I'm okay with that today. Because I just pray that that means that the Holy Spirit is really speaking to us. And again, I hope that you sense I'm not, this is not a shame on you message. If it's shame on anybody, it's shame on me because... 
This is one messed up boy at times without the grace of God. You know, there's an interesting passage near the end of the book of Job. You know the story. As a test of Job's loyalty and love for God, Satan is allowed to take everything from Job except for his life. I mean, he literally, if you've read the book of Job, he lost his wealth, his servants, his health, his children. They were killed in a freak accident when, when a desert wind blew the house in on them. And Job was left devastated, trying to figure out what God was up to. And, and at times, yes, Job was angry, confused, depressed, and, and he struggled with his faith. And most of the book is, is a record of his discussion with these three co- so-called friends, miserable comforters, who basically say, Job, the reason you're suffering is because of sin in your life. Well, finally, after 38 chapters, God speaks. Have you ever been through 38 chapters of silence from God? I don't know if I've been through 38 chapters, but I've been through those times of silence. It's like, God, where are you? I'm still here, God. Are you still there? And I'm sure Job, for 38 chapters, was wondering, God, I have to put up with these three stooges, three clowns that are just accusing me of sinning and you know my heart, I'm, I'm righteous. Where are you, God? But after 38 chapters, God speaks. And what does He do? He rebukes Job's friends. Because Job's problems came on him not because of sin, but rather because he was the most righteous man on earth. And this is where it gets super interesting. Whom did God ask to pray for whom? Well, you would think that he would ask Job's friends to pray for Job because Job was the one that was suffering. All lost his kids, lost his wealth, lost his house, everything he'd lost it. And so you would think God would say, oh, you know, you, you three guys, why don't you pray for Job? But we read where God commands Job to pray for his friends. Isn't that funny? And this is big because... Job's friends have been super critical of him. They've raked him over the coals. They've accused him of of just about everything in the book. And and God comes along and says, Job, I want you to pray for these guys that aren't being very nice to you. And what did Job do? He prayed for them. And then Job, in in Job 42.10, it says, after, that's a key word, after Job prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, that's the way to wealth. (laughs) No, this doesn't mean that if you pray for your enemies, that the Lord will make you rich. But there's a valid principle here. When we are forgiving and when we choose to pray for those who have hurt us, not in a way to cause destruction to come upon them, but we pray for them because we care for them and we love them, God notices and we can expect God's favor on our lives. Not necessarily financially, but there will be just the presence of the Lord upon our lives. Well, I, uh, I don't want us to leave here until I issue a brief word of caution. Ushers, would you lock the doors, please, so nobody leaves on this part? 
Go back to our scripture and, and, and listen to these really harsh words. These are not my words, okay? That, that's what I love about reading scripture. I'm always right when I read scripture. And this is the Lord saying this. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Remember the story that we told? Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. And then Jesus concludes the story in verse 35 with the words, That's what my heavenly Father will do to you. Oh. Man, this is tough. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. Now, what's this saying to us? And this is tough stuff. Welcome to the Church of God Holiness where we preach an easy believism. Just, just kidding. Some of you didn't get that, and that's okay. This is tough stuff. God says, if you do not forgive each other, He will not forgive you of your sins. Failure to forgive each other blocks God's forgiveness towards us. And I know you're a better boy and better girl than I am, but, but I mess up enough to where I would hate to be where I couldn't access God's forgiveness. Uh, you're, you're probably, you ne- probably never have to ask for forgiveness, but I found that I do. And I'd hate to come to a point where God wouldn't forgive me because I didn't forgive someone else. You know, in closing, there's an interesting story tucked away in the Old Testament. Oh, don't you love God's Word? God's Word is so up-to-date as the morning news. <laughs> but one day, David, when David was king over Judah, his armies began to fight the armies of Israel. And, and David's army was led by Joab, and, 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 and Abner led the armies of Israel. And Joab had a brother named Asael that gave chase to Abner and some of you will recognize the story, but Abner told him to back off, but he didn't, so Abner, Abner ended up killing him. Well, when Joab came up to upon his dead brother, he determined to seek revenge on Abner. And just as Joab reached Abner, the sun was going down. Abner's men were camped up on the hill overlooking where, where Joab had stopped. And, and listen to these words from Second Samuel chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. Abner shouted down to Joab, Must we always solve our differences with swords? You you think we ought to maybe send this to Washington, (laughs) D.C.? This scripture, would that that work there? (laughs) Must we always solve our differences with swords? Don't you realize the only thing we will gain is bitterness towards each other? Oh, wow. When will you call off your men from chasing their Israelite brothers. Then here's the key verse. Then Joab said, God only knows what would have happened if you hadn't spoken, for we would have chased you all night if necessary. What did Joab do? He showed grace. And he called off the chase. And that leads me to say that someone has to break the cycle. Someone has to have the courage to say, enough is enough. 
You know, the well-known conflict, and you've heard this, Hatfield-McCoy began in 1873. It resulted in the death of over a dozen people. It went on until June 14, 2003, when the families officially signed a peace treaty over 100 years. I believe it would please God for some of us to say, enough is enough. Yeah, we've been nursing this grudge. We've been kind of shooting at each other. He says this, well, I have to let people know that's new and that's not true. So I say this. I wonder if it wouldn't just please God for some people to just say, today I put down the rock and I forgive. The rock that you received when you came in, that's, no, it's not designed for me. Sorry to disappoint you. But I believe that today, today there would be some people that might want to get in a position where they could receive forgiveness from God again. And that they would say, enough is enough. We have a cross here. We have some baskets here. And here's what I would like to do as we wrap up our time this morning. Could we in our minds just say enough is enough? I've been nursing this grudge, this resentment, this hurt long enough. Today, today, I'm going to take this rock and I'm going to lay it at the foot of the cross. Now, understand, this doesn't justify the other person. You know, it's, it's just so amazing. Um, I, I just felt so strongly God wanted me to preach on this. And then the last two days, yesterday and today, I, I receive a devotional that comes to my email address every day. And in the last two days, would you believe it's on forgiveness? And, and, and the one today, I just glanced at it quickly, but this is by Lisa Turkerson. And, and she said a couple of things that I, I, want you, I want to just emphasize. She said, forgiveness doesn't justify them. It frees you. Isn't that good stuff? It doesn't justify them. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be judged sometime by God. It just frees you. And something else she said is, we have an enemy, but it's not each other. You know, we have a common enemy, and that's Satan and his forces. And then uh, she ends up by saying, forgiveness releases an offense into the hands of God so you can heal. So uh, today, this is about healing. This is about freedom. Would you just stand, please? Lord, I want to thank you for your word, and, and, and I just thank you for how your word is so clear on this issue. Lord, I think that probably most of us here this morning, we're carrying around some junk. It's a hurt, some bitterness, some anger, maybe full-blown unforgiveness. God, I pray that you would help us to sort through just that whole thing that we try to fool ourselves. But I, I pray, Lord, that you would not let any of us escape here today if there's unforgiveness in our heart, regardless of what we've said or regardless of what we thought. If there's that root of bitterness growing 
I pray that we would just be so transparent before you today. God, I know that there's a lot of pain here. I know some people are wishing they probably didn't come to church this morning. But Father, we're here. We're here in your presence. And I believe that this is where you wanted us to go. And I just pray that today, or that there would be a choice to release. And then when we get out of here, we would not take it back up again. We would not grab up another rock. But Lord, we would let it go. And so, Father, I just pray that you would do an act of healing over the next few moments. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have unforgiveness, if you have resentment, if you have just some hard feelings, maybe you're a little upset at God. And this is for godly people, okay? This is not for the scoundrels because I found out that most of us are there. And, and let's not get into pretending this morning because God sees through the heart. But here's what I'd like to ask you to do. If you want to just come forward and pray, and then if there's something that you want to just release here in these baskets, put the rock in there. And when you've done business with God and you feel like you're ready to go, you may be dismissed. I know it's late, but I don't want to, I don't want to just shortcut what I believe God wants to do today, the healing that he wants to take place. So I would just invite you to come if you want to come and search your heart here at the altar, or if you want to come and place the rock here, or if you're good to go, if you want to leave, you're welcome to leave. But I would ask that there would be no conversation going on here in the worship center. Again, this is not just for scoundrels. This is for all of us, God's people. And I would invite you to come right now. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.